Okay, good morning. Good morning, Redstone. Are you ready to? No, that was last year. You might want to just uh, get your seat, please. And uh, let's see what the Lord has on his heart for us today. Oh, what a treat for us to be here with you this morning. Uh, always a privilege and a joy. We have many friends here and somehow seems to be for us a place of reconnecting with all kinds of people from our past. And so very special and I appreciate the opportunity to be here with this, you this morning. You know, when, when Jerry, your pastor, asked me uh, way back in October, I believe it was, to come and share with you again this year, the Lord gave me two verses right there and then and two titles of two messages. Uh, and basically, that's where I've lived <laughs> since October last year. And Maureen was saying, Amen. And so I have so much on my heart and I can really only plant a seed today. And I'm trusting and believing that the Lord will produce a rich harvest in our lives from that seed this morning, um, individually and together as we uh, are the church and use of the church here at Redstone in Elizabethton. Uh, I, I warned them beforehand that uh, I might be long this morning. And uh, Jerry, you're welcome to interrupt and shut me up if you want, but I will ignore that anyway. <laughs> but th there are so many things that I'm not going to be able to, to complete the uh, to follow through with this morning, and, and that's really frustrating if you're a teacher or a preacher. Uh, and so that's a challenge for me, and some of that we'll get back to next week. But So bear with me, uh, but open your, the, the soil of your heart to receive a seed from the Lord this morning. I so enjoyed, with the week before last now, uh, listening to the testimonies of those of you who who came up here and shared. Uh, just wonderful to hear what, what God is doing. And it seems uh, from the testimonies that were shared that God is bringing people into this place from all over the world. Uh, and I wondered what he's up to. I wondered what he's up to. Uh, even people from Zambia. And I don't know how far north you were in Zambia, but you may remember Mwapulenim Gwai. I greet you in the language of the Bemba people. Mwapulenim Gwai. The two verses we're going to focus on this morning uh, are up here on the screen. And I will be using the New King James Version. I know most of you use the English Standard. 
but I'm with the New King James at the moment. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These two verses have powerfully impacted my own life. In fact, as I have studied them and meditated them over the years and allowed them to just kind of seep into my heart and into my being, they've taken me to a, a significantly deeper understanding of who I am in Christ. And so they've been the, become the foundation for shaping many, probably most of the changes that have happened in my life as I've, as I've endeavored to follow Jesus, be a disciple. I call them my GPS, my God positioning uh, system. And yes, there have been many recalculating, recalculating, many of those. Now, I know that you spend a year, at least in, in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, but be, before that, I remember those early messages about the table and the gospel and the feasts, and I, and I listened to all of them. I've been here with you as God has been working. And as I thought about that, I realized that all of that really rich, good teaching that you've had, and you guys have been spoiled. You've had good, solid, biblical teaching. But all of that was to lay foundations to prepare you for where Jesus wants to take you next. As disciples, as his body, as Redstone Elizabethan, as part of a church which he's strategically building all over the globe. And I realized, though, that listening to the testimonies last, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, that many of you were not here for those early foundations. And I would encourage you, uh, you do well to go back and check them out. Turn with me, if, if you would, for a moment before we get to uh, Romans to Hebrews uh, chapter 6. Uh, Paul begins this uh, in actually chapter 5, verse 12. He's, talk, he's, he's speaking to the, the Christians and he's saying to them, uh, I say Paul, but n many don't know whether it was really Paul who wrote this book, but it's scripture anyway. But the writer says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's saying it's no good just hearing the word. You, you need to process it and put it into practice in your life. Then he goes on in chapter 6. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So there's these six foundational truths that he's saying you need to get established in, your, in, in who you are, in your heart and your life. And then he said, makes this amazing statement, really, when he says, and this we will do if God permits. <laughs> you mean God would not allow us to go on? You mean God would say, just stay where you are for a moment? I mean, and our answer would be, hey guys, look at all the people here this morning. We're growing. We now have three elders. We have a good children's church. We, we may be we're thinking of youth ministry and community groups and all of those things. Hey, listen, I didn't write that. God wrote that. So yes, he might and he would, and many of us, if we're honest, have experienced this in our own personal walk. You just seem to hit a kind of a plateau in your walk with the Lord. And then you never seem to be able to get beyond that. I got that t-shirt, and some of you have too. And that was, I realized later, was because for many, many years as a Christian, I hadn't established these foundational principles in my life. Oh, it was hard work. There was a ton of effort, but there was very little fruit. And some of you may be there today. And the Holy Spirit is throwing you a lifeline this morning. Grab it with both hands. And this, because if you read on in this passage, I'm not going to do this now, but I encourage you to do it. If you read on, you'll see and understand that the dangers of going on without the foundations established in your life is devastating. In fact, spiritually life-threatening. And God loves us. God loves us too much to use us before we're ready. Don't misunderstand. God can and has used the donkey. But the better foundations we have, the more can be built on top of it. You remember that parable, the house built on the sand and the house built on the stone, on the rock. Now both the messages the Lord has given me come, in fact, from the second verse in... Romans chapter 12. And we will get there, I promise. Uh, this week. But just as we've seen, 
as I've just shown you with the basic principles of faith, if we don't take time to really understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in the first verse, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to miss out on what he really wants for us to get from verse 2. So unapologetically, I'm going to take some time to go through Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I made that mistake in my own life uh, for many years. I just took the second verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That, that's the first verse. Sorry, the second verse will come. No, that's the, that is the verse I want to get to. The second verse uh, says that we need to give our, uh, be renewed in our minds and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's what we try to do. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried really hard and I repented and I asked forgiveness and I tried again and again and again. I memorized the scriptures. We wrote them all on the walls, pasted them up on the walls. I was faithful in attending church. I was serving as a deacon, but nothing really seemed to change on the inside of my heart. I learned how to do all the stuff outside. Nobody knew what was really going on inside of my heart until one evening at the church we were attending in South Africa, we had a, a series of revival meetings. And in that one particular Friday evening, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, just suddenly, suddenly dropped into my heart. It came alive inside of me. And when the Holy Spirit challenged me at the end of the the meeting when the evangelist made his appeal, I, I, came, I was the first one at the front. And that created great consternation because here was one of the leaders of the church coming out and responding to an evangelist's appeal. But because of what I did that evening and the course corrections that were happened along the way because of that evening I'm here today sharing with you. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 without Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is like trying to put those kiddies Christmas toys together without reading the instructions. Or I got, we bought a new lawnmower the other day. A lawnmower came in a box. I mean a lawnmower in a box? Well, I eventually got it out of the box and tried to put it right. I had to Google a video to show me how to get it working. One more thing about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in context. These two verses look forward to what Paul writes later in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, where he says this, And do this, knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, 
For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Doesn't it feel like that? The beginning of 2022? Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let's put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and in drunkenness, not in lewdness and and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That's radical. That's radical. You see, the Lord's preparing us for something that lies ahead for 2022 or whatever may be in it or beyond. I said I was planting a seed this morning. Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. And so... I say to you, Redstone, Elizabethan, hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. You know, the last two years have been rough for many people, many of you. I've personally buried three good friends. Another one died yesterday been a rough year for us and 2022 doesn't look like it's going in any better direction than that but that's not a reason for despair or discouragement because our hope is in Jesus not in 2022 or whatever that may have for us in Psalm 119 verse 114 The psalmist says, you, talking of the Father, of Jesus, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you, Paul says. I exhort you. I beg you. You know, I I personally, reading through uh, the scriptures, pick this up about Paul, the Apostle Paul. I believe that one of the things that, that was really going for him, if I could put it in those terms, was the fact and why God used him so much in the establishment of the church and writing in the scriptures and all of that was because Paul had zeal. He was full of zeal. In fact, he says this about himself in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, concerning zeal, blameless. He had great zeal. And what God needed to do was to redirect that zeal And that was the journey that he lived through. You know, (laughs) godly zeal is like chicken's teeth in the church these days. I'll leave you to figure that one out. 
But I can feel some of Paul's zeal in this, I beseech you, that it's almost like this is too gentle a term. I urge you, come on, guys, listen up, he's saying to us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Paul's appeal is based on what goes before. Now, I know that Jerry has told you this and Sam, what do you do when there's a therefore? You've got to go figure out, find out what it's there for. Always do that. And so I did that. Oops, I'm going backwards, sorry. I did that, and this was my work notes. And it's really clear, so I don't need to... No, I know, it looks like a drunk spider walked through some ink and over the thing. But we'll come back to that next week. But this is me just going back, and this is how I think about how Paul actually works. But uh, for today, he basically summarizes up all the therefore in just two verses. In Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and in Romans 6, 23, says, For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and all of those squiggly lines, uh, he's saying that the core of the sin problem, the core of the sin problem for all of mankind is, is what one preach, teacher called our stinking thinking the way we use our minds, and specifically how we handle God's truth. I don't want to go there, but I'll just say this. If you think of all the issues that are, that are coming up in our culture and our society today, they're all because people are trying to redefine God's truth. They're rejecting it. They're refusing it. So much is what I'm going to say. So what Paul's therefore is doing, it's, it's showing us a very different way of thinking and of living, and we'll, we'll go back there next week. I beseech you therefore, brethren, he says, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. That's why he, that's the reason for his appeal. And, and the Greek words which are chosen, and, and I believe the, the God, the Holy Spirit, chose very specific words in the scripture to, to instruct us. And the Greek words that are in the scripture here that are translated uh, here give us the sense of what Paul is, had said before in his therefore in chapter 11 verse 33 where he says oh the depth of the riches of both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. In other words he's saying you need to understand the mercies of God because of how wise he is and because he knows way better than you guys 
He knows better than you. So listen up. I've got to share this with you. In, in, in my preparation for this message, I found a gem in the scripture. And, and, and so I, I, I want to share it with you. The Hebrew equivalent word for mercies also has this meaning. So it means mercies, compassions, uh, and all of that. But it also has this sense. Now listen carefully. By extension, in other words, with this idea of mercy, taking it a little bit further, it says, by extension, the womb, as cherishing the fetus. Now I'm just reading from the, uh, the book. Just, just let that sink into you for a moment. See, Paul writes in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And you can just see this all happening in, in the mercies of God, in the womb. Just thinking of that little baby that was inside here listening to worship as the mom led us, being washed by the word in the womb. Think about being born again, where life is conceived in the womb, in the mercies of God, being nourished, conceived and nourished, protected, renewed by the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see. Let me go on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, just for your information, your body is the thing you live in. It's the thing you're in right now, sat on that chair. And to present is a verb. It's something you do. It's not just a thought. It's not just a good idea. Can you imagine going to a wedding and the minister says they're now going to exchange rings to show their love and uh, the bride puts out her hand and the husband with absolutely nothing in his hand says, with this ring I be wed. And she looks and says, well, where is it? He says, well, I, I thought about it. No, that wouldn't work. Paul's using the, temp, the language here of the temple ritual, and you learned something about that when you were looking at the feasts. And he's saying that the sacrifice now is not ritually slaughtered lambs, but human bodies presented alive. Your body is you. Your body represents you. It's where you live. It's where I meet you. And your body is also the place where all the sinful activity in your life happens and needs to be put on the altar and put to death. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, 
in the therefore. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. If you live according to the, the dictates and pressures of your body, you'll die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And you know, that's why Jesus came in the flesh, in a human body. And Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, explains that. It says, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. So Jesus tasted the physical death for everyone so that we might live in him. See, what the scripture is telling us this morning, church, is that Although the decision to follow Jesus is made in our minds, it's a choice we make by faith, that mental decision needs to be acted out and confirmed by some kind of physical activities that you present your body a living sacrifice. It's almost like saying to you, you say you're a Christian, prove it. Prove it. And sadly, there are many Christians that if they were taken to court, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them. Please don't miss this. I've watched the church in America particularly, but not only here, but I've watched the church be bullied. I chose that word carefully. Be bullied into a, a private spirituality which is okay as long as you keep it in your mind. I mean, it's okay if you believe it, but don't bring all that religious stuff to me. Now, don't be offended, please. Think you know my heart. And I know that you do some things differently here, and I, and I absolutely respect that. But I, I firmly believe that there is a need and a place for God's people to be given an opportunity to present themselves, to respond in some way, without being concerned about some being offended. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Can you imagine Christmas morning, Luke 2.13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, now every head bowed and every eye closed. No! wasn't like that, said, glory to God, glory to God, hallelujah. They weren't embarrassed. And I know, and I understand, and I've been there. Many pastors and evangelists have abused this practice of, of having an appeal at the end of a message. I understand that. But remember this, many people 
have used the name of Jesus as the foulest curse word in your presence and you still follow him. I better quit before Jerry doesn't let me come back next week. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So Paul goes on and he says, now, now, because you're a believer, because you have the Spirit of Christ in you, this offering that you present, this offering that you bring, this body that you bring as a living sacrifice, is holy and acceptable to God. The NIV translates this as pleasing to God. Uh, acceptable is not really a good uh, translation in, in, in my way of thinking. It's the same word you see that Jesus used in John chapter 8, when, verse 29, when he says, I always do the things that please him, the Father. He's talking, he doesn't do things that are acceptable to God. He says, I do things which please him. Hey, if you go to college, a GPA of one or two or three is acceptable, <laughs> but it's not well-pleasing. A 4 is well-pleasing. So what we do as believers in Christ and in the Spirit gives real pleasure to God. And the Scripture is full of, of evidence of that. Now, this is different from doing things to please God. Think of it this way. It's the difference between you bringing your sacrifice to the altar and you bringing yourself as the sacrifice to the altar. The opposite of pleasing God I think is just pleasing ourselves. And going the way of the world is just simply where we go to please ourselves. There's some wonderful pictures in the, in the Old Testament about what God does when he's well pleased with his people. I'll just take one of them here. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He's got the worship team up here. He's singing over you. You don't believe it. I can see that. But that's what the scripture says. When we come and present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, not because of our righteousness, but with the righteousness of Christ. Wow. Wow. We are, in fact, the joy set before him. That's why Jesus went to the cross, for the joy that was set before him. And as I look out this morning on you, I see the joy set before him. Sorry. Paul finished his thought with this statement. He said, this is your reasonable service. Uh, some translations say this is your spiritual worship or your proper worship. Uh, now, 
I'm not being critical of the, these different translations. Please understand that. I'm just telling you my preference as I read the scripture. But I think your spiritual worship really misses the mark in this sense, misses the point, because the whole point of what Paul is saying to us in this passage is, this, is that the sacrifices are not just spiritual. Present your bodies not just a spiritual thing, a mind thing that goes on your mind. It means what it says. Present your body. The Greek word there for spiritual is logikos, which means reasonable. It's the word we get our word logical from. So it's logical, Paul's saying. Here's, here's something in the scriptures that I think might help you understand. Uh, I won't read them all, but in Revelations chapter 4, uh, verse 3 to 5, and on in, uh, you know, uh, you remember, I hope, about the four living creatures. And the scripture says they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I don't make light of that, but that's what they were created to do. That was their job, their vocation. But then we see where the elders come in, in chapter 5, the four and twenty elders, and it says in verse 9, they sang a new song. You are worthy to open the scroll. You see, the elders had been there. The elders had the t-shirt. They lived in the world as disciples and discovered for themselves the reality of life in Christ and in the Spirit. And so they had good logical reasons to respond with. He is worthy. He is worthy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Why is Paul so passionate about this? Why does he make this appeal so passionately? I believe it's because he lived there too, like the 24 elders. And he knew what he was going to write in the next verse uh, of Romans chapter 12, which was, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He learned that you can't bypass that. If you do, it's just not going to work for you. And hallelujah, we've reached the beginning of my message. <laughs> which is, God has a glorious destiny for us. The good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Am I okay, Jerry? When, you, when we begin to see what this really means, it's almost too good to be true. That God wants you 
and me and each one of his children to prove or to test or to personally experience what his good will, good and perfect and acceptable will or purpose is for our lives. And when he shows us what that is, as Christians, we have great difficulty in believing that. We, th we think, well, maybe when we get to heaven, when we die, that we'll, it'll happen. Uh, and then it makes sense that we'll be changed into his likeness. But that's not what Paul's saying. We have real difficulty in believing it's for me. And we disqualify ourselves. Even when God's word tells us that he made us to be qualified in Christ. We say things like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, use some logikos here yourself. You're either still a sinner or you're saved by grace. You can't be both. If you're still a sinner, you need to get saved. And if you're saved by grace, you need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice and not begin to experience everything that God has for you. Paul says in Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 12, give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And he goes on in the next verse, he says, he's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son that he loved. This is one of my life verses, because this is what God did for me. He delivered me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. You know, when Amazon comes and delivers and drops a parcel on your front veranda, what happens? You get a text says what? Delivered. And so you rush out and look. Why is it so difficult to believe that God would deliver us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his son? We're now in a new kingdom. We are a new creation in a new kingdom. Church, it's time for us to begin to believe God and not yourself or your peers or Facebook or anyone if God says it, that must be enough for you. God has a purpose for us. God has a goal for us. He has dreams for us. And he qualified us to live in the reality of that. Don't just settle on going to heaven when you die. You get that anyway. That's the bonus. Psalm 73 verse 24 says, You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. New Living Testament says, You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. This is, this is God's heart for us, church. He's leading us to a glorious destiny. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts 
of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. The King James says an expected end. Now, I've, I've had people dump on me and rebuke me because they say that this is one of the mis, most misquoted verses in the scripture because we take it out of context. Well, don't buy that. Yes, it was a word to Israel about their captivity in Babylon. It is to be a people being punished for their sins, yes, but it's a word to us also about our captivity to the penalty of a power of sin. And the whole point of the gospel is that Jesus on the cross paid the full penalty for our sin and set us free from the wrath of God. And so God's promise to them is the same as God's promise to us, just as it was for them. A future and a hope, an expected end. Some translations use the phrase, the plans I have for you. That's not what it says. It says the thoughts I have for you. You'd be better to translate it as the dreams I have for you. God's got dreams for you. It's not like a plan that he put in place and if you don't fall in, well, then it's plan B. And if that doesn't work out, we go to plan C. It doesn't work like that. God's got dreams in his heart for you. That's why he created you the way that you did. So that as you yield yourself to him, as you present your body a living sacrifice on the altar and allow his Holy Spirit to work in you, you will be transformed moment by moment into the likeness of his son, of Jesus. God has a destiny for us. Just as Jesus had a destiny. Luke chapter 2, verse 34 and 35. I'm not going to read that all there, but uh, Simeon said to, Behold, this child, talking about Jesus, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken again. Jesus had a destiny too. God has a destiny for you, my brother, my sister, that is good and acceptable. And pleasing. And that's not just from God's perspective. God wants you to experience that as well. That what is on his heart for you is not just what he thinks it should be, but that you experience that it's well-pleasing. He wants you to prove it, to experience it, to test it, to try it for yourself. So God's destiny is his will for us. Paul, and you've been there, Paul describes it in Ephesians uh, in this way. He says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having pre been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the power of his will. So here we see, and then this one that Paul adds in here, uh, predestined just simply means 
that way back when, when God knew you even before you were in your mother's womb, Jeremiah 1 verse 5 said, God had a destiny for you in his heart. A destiny that would include that you would be in Christ. A destiny that would include that your inheritance would be there. And as Paul writes in chapter 8 verse 29 of and 30 of Romans, he says, for whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's Jesus. Moreover, whom he predestined, that's you and me, he also called. Whom he called, these he has justified. Whom he justified, these he has also glorified. And I know that, that Jerry's going to be back in Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 uh, later in the year. But this speaks to this truth too. It's a bit crowded in that slide, but it says as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which he has been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Why would God do this? Why would God do this? Well, he tells us right here, doesn't he? That through these, you might be partakers of the divine nature. This is your destiny. This is the glorious destiny that you have in Jesus Christ. That you may prove what is the, that you can experience, that you be, become part of your life down here on earth, that you would Enjoy the reality of his destiny that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now that's the seed that, that I felt I was to sow this morning. And it's a seed because like any seed, it has enormous potential for all kinds of different kind of future. Think about this, if you look at a seed, like this little one here that you can't see from way back there, but if you look at a seed, it looks very different from what comes out of the seed. All right? That's logikos, guys. And I figured it out that, I think I got my numbers right, that if you planted this seed, and harvested the beans, didn't eat them, and did that for three plantings, you would have almost two million beans. So I'm planting a seed of the word this morning, and I'm expecting God to bring forth great fruit. But that seed has to fall into a heart that's ready to receive it. So let this germinate in your spirit this morning. God has a destiny for you, a purpose 
in your life. It's, life now is not a dress rehearsal for the future. God has an expected end for us, and he's moving us there moment by moment. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now I need to say this before I, I bring this to an end. There's a difference between destiny, that we, God's destiny, God's dreams for us, and our calling. In the scripture, when it talks about being called, it's basically talking about getting saved, becoming a believer, receiving Christ. But we use that term differently, and, and we talk about it as being uh, our vocation, or our job, or whatever we do. Uh, Paul was a tent maker, Jesus was a, a carpenter, uh, David started out as a shepherd, Sam is a teacher, Rachel's a mom. And the calling in this sense is where you operate in your spiritual gifts and use your special talents and abilities, and, and I think you get the picture. So they're not the same, it's not the same as your destiny, but they work together. We all share the same glorious destiny that is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, but we each have a uniquely personal calling. That's what Paul says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, uh, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given us everything as he moves us towards our destiny that enables us to fulfilling, fulfill it through a calling. That's why Paul says we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice up on the altar so that God can work in our hearts. He says in Lamentations chapter 1 verse 8 and 9, he talks about the dangers of not considering your destiny. And the Holy Spirit is just simply saying to you and to me again this morning, I beseech you. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to you. The Holy Spirit speaking to many of you this morning. He's beseeching you by the mercies of God to present yourself. That's just, he says, your reasonable service or worship so that you can prove or experience or find out for yourself how good God is how well-pleasing he is, how perfect his thoughts are towards you. He's just simply saying, this is the way. It's your choice. 
God will not let you move on towards your destiny until you have those basic principles settled in your heart. You're not just going to stumble on God's will for your life. You need to settle it in your heart. And if you haven't done so, this morning would be a wonderful time to do it. How will you respond this morning? You know, I can remember very clearly almost every time in my life that I have physically, actively responded to the Holy Spirit's promptings in my life. In fact, as I said earlier, the fact that I'm standing here this morning is because of that. But I can really not remember many, many times that I just made a mental note or said, yeah, I'll do that. Even though I honestly meant it. Now I'm just being obedient to what I felt the Lord wanted me to do. I felt that the Holy Spirit showed me that I should give you an opportunity to respond to him this morning if that's your decision, by having some seeds available for you. And there's a bowl full here at the front and there's a bowl at the door as you go out. And if you want to tell God, show him that you mean what you say this morning, that you're presenting your bodies, just pick up a bean. If you don't mean it, please don't pick up a bean. God wants you to prove what is good and acceptable and perfect on his heart for you. So, there they are. Father, have your own way, Lord. We open our hearts to you, Lord Holy Spirit, this morning. No ifs, no buts, no ands. We just say as that song says, have your own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter. We're the clay. And be glorified in that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.